The views and opinions of this program are those of the host, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up with the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least, but there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic grain and energy solutions bored of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. We saw more red on the screen, this time across commodities and the stock market on the day, Wednesday. Welcome to Market Talk. Thanks so much for joining us here today once again as we talk about the markets and issues impacting rural America. Great to be with you. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Thanks for joining us here as we have a lot to discuss on today's show, including a mostly lower day across the markets on Wednesday, led lower by soybeans, by winter wheat, also Largely a risk-off trading day on Wall Street Wednesday following the release of more data, which is showing a resilient economy and just a lot to take in, but mostly lower across the trade on the day Wednesday. We're going to discuss some of the fundamentals here in the trade. We have analysis coming up later in the show with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. We'll be diving in and talking with him coming up here in just a little bit. Also, we're going to talk to Iowa soybean farmer Ryan Reimers about supplementing your soybeans and a recent trial he did with advanced six to look at ammonium sulfate on soybeans we're going to hear more about that coming up at the end of the show today first up though let's talk a little bit about wednesday's trade action we have comments from arlen suderman chief commodities economist at stonex we talked to arlen around midday on wednesday during the market trade session for our midday commentary got arlen's thoughts on what was moving the markets to the downside some of it tied to a higher u.s dollar on wednesday we start our conversation get arlen's thoughts on some of the outside market pressure and more that was moving the trade to the downside on Wednesday, here's Arlen Suderman of StoneX. Yeah, it all started with retail sales numbers that came out this morning. We said yesterday when we talked about uh, the inflation and expectations and how inflation was coming in hotter than expected on a month-by-month basis, and that indicated that the Fed's going to have to remain aggressive in its monetary tightening. Well, this morning, retail sales numbers came out way above what the trade was anticipating, up 3% month-on-month in January for the headline number. Uh, We had other data come out later in the day that was industrial production and also the housing market index that also came in hotter than what was anticipated. And that tells Wall Street that the Fed has more work to do and that it's probably going to be continue to move higher with interest rates into this year. And so the equity markets are actually dealing with that pretty well. Maybe they feel like they've already priced in recession. The commodity markets, though, are trading recession fears with most of the food and energy commodities moving to the downside today. Any other notes in the livestock trade? I know we're still waiting for cash country activity this week and then hogs april now the lead month contract there be interesting to watch uh, how that works with the cash index here over the next couple of weeks 
Yeah, and you mentioned those hogs. It's interesting to see yesterday's CPI data that I mentioned showing food inflation up 11% year on year for at home food, while food consumed away, and primarily restaurants, et cetera, was up 8%. However, once again, that's not due to the meats being higher. If you look at particularly the red meats anyway, pork is basically flat with where it was a year ago. Beef prices are up just 1%, poultry up 11%, a lot of that being because of the bird flu problems, but a lot of it being what's happening at the margins above what the production level is, some of it related to energy, some of it related Related to labor costs, etc. But for today, we're seeing pretty much choppiness to weakness. The only exception being the feeder cattle market with a little bit of an increased demand with cheaper feed prices today. And once again, that is market analysis with Arlen Suderman of StoneX. We appreciate his time as always joining us for our midday commentary and getting a chance to listen to that here in segment one of our show today. Always appreciate Arlen's time here on the show. Well, in some news headlines of agriculture as well here today, a USDA report on 2022 exports showed higher values and lower volumes last year. Brian Keel, executive director for Farmers for Free Trade, called the results a double-edged sword. The inflation has driven up commodity prices, and a lot of that's been driven by the war in Ukraine and by the supply chain disruptions coming out of the pandemic. So the good news is we have been exporting more by value and in some sectors more by volume. But overall, I think the bind that farmers are in is that they're able to sell their product at a higher price, but their input costs have gone up so much. Looking ahead to the rest of 2023, trade results may look a little different from last year. They are projecting for 2023 a trade deficit in food and ag. And it's not a huge trade deficit, but I think any trade deficit should be troubling for us. I mean, until 2019, the U.S. consistently ran trade surpluses. And now we're starting to see this pop up where we're, we're running a trade deficit in food and ag. I think part of that is because we're not pushing to open new markets. Other countries are, are executing trade deals and, and the U.S. is seeing its long-term position erode. And Keel talks about some of the important priorities at Farmers for Free Trade in 2023. Number one, the administration's putting a lot of weight behind its Indo-Pacific economic framework, which is a framework for the Indo-Pacific area where that focuses on things like corruption, non-tariff barriers to trade. It has a number of really important things embedded in it. We'd like to see that framework used to really promote market access with the participants in that framework. So really address tariffs and look at enforceable provisions on phytosanitary standards. In addition to tuning up the framework, the organization has a couple of other big priorities for overseas trade. Number two is standalone free trade agreements. We think we could be doing a free trade agreement with the UK, with Kenya, both of which were started under the Trump administration. And so there's work that's been done. And number three is mini deals. That's short of a full free trade agreement. A mini deal can address a commodity or a couple of commodities. And the Biden administration, to their credit, they've pushed for pork access into Vietnam as a good example. Let's do more of that. Let's look for opportunities where we can help our apple producers or our almond growers or our our pork or dairy. Let's look for places where we can crack open markets, even if it's short of a full free trade agreement. Again, that's Brian Keel of Farmers for Free Trade. For more information, you can go online to farmersforfreetrade.com. Again, that's farmersforfreetrade.com. 
And also a news headlines here before we head to our break. We do know that Jewel Bernal is going to be stepping down as Deputy Secretary of Agriculture at the USDA. Well, Tom Vilsack has a new nomination to take her place as someone who is already within the organization. Xochitl Torres Small is going to be taking over as the Deputy Secretary of USDA as we see that the nomination was announced on the day on Wednesday. And Vilsack said, quote, the nomination of Xochitl Torres Small to serve as Deputy Secretary reflects the Biden-Harris administration's commitment to rural prosperity, advancing equity, and making USDA the best place to work. As Undersecretary for Rural Development, Torres Small has been an exemplary member of the USDA subcabinet and a dedicated advocate for rural communities. During her leadership, rural development was the first federal agency to invest bipartisan infrastructure law funds in physical infrastructure for high-speed internet and the first entity to make Inflation Reduction Act funds available to drive down energy costs for farmers and rural small businesses. So great stuff there as it's been announced that Sochiel Torres Small will be leaving her post as the Undersecretary for Rural Development and getting a promotion to Deputy Secretary of Agriculture at the USDA upon the conclusion of Deputy Secretary Jewel Bernard's service with USDA. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk markets. We're going to dive back in and get analysis with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics back with more market talk right after this. market information that matters to you on market talk now back to jesse allen well as we take a look at wednesday's market action we'll call it mostly risk off it was uh, pretty much red across the screen on the day we have a lot to dissect to take a look at here to join us with market analysis on the program our good friend mike zuzalo with global commodity analytics mike Always good to catch up with you. It feels like Wednesday we maybe had a, a delayed reaction to Valentine's Day with red pretty much across the screen, commodities, stock market, you name it. It was a, it was pretty much a risk-off day, as I alluded to. Yeah, very big hump day today, Jesse. That's no question about it. And really kind of disappointing given the fact that we were up against some really key technical resistance levels that I think if we could have gotten above it, we would have uncovered quite a bit of buy stops. But unfortunately, we've pulled back yet again. And I think this is probably five or six weeks in a row that the March corn in particular has just not been able to do much above 685. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves back to 670, 675. So more of the same, but just some new information out there. Well, let's talk about some of that new information. I'll pull up one of the charts on the video feed and, you know, thinking about a higher dollar on the day Wednesday, a lot of this inflation data and more out this week. So let's start here. Walk us through what you're seeing with some of this outside market pressure, how it's relating to commodities. Yeah, if you're familiar with this chart, you're seeing the dollar in the blue line against the iShares Emerging Market ETF that's traded on the New York Stock Exchange, fairly heavy volume. And this is one of the key charts I use and keep track of for clients and subscribers. Uh, it, it's very easy to see ever since the financial crisis that these two opposite tend to move opposite one another. They're, they're diverging when, with one another and their prices are kind of a mirror image. And so it's very important now that China's come off their zero COVID policy and we've got this spy balloon issue now. We've got these two force, uh, forces that are working against each other because China said today that they were looking at um, some type of reprisal or some type of response to what we did to their balloon. They don't know what they're going to do yet. And so that really kind of shakes the foundations of buying into the emerging markets, which we see in that EEM where that question mark is uh, on the far 
you know, right part of that uh, lower purple line. So we had that big shot up. We went up against a major resistance line uh, drawn off of those highs in that EEM back there in 2021 and 2020. Um, that resistance line held, and I think the big reason why it held was, as you say, the dollar caught a bid. Well, why did that happen? CPI data yesterday, retail sales data today, much stronger, both of them much stronger than the trade was expecting, especially retail sales coming in for January year over year, still 6.4% above last year. Even food and drinking establishments saw about a 7.2% increase in January. So that gives the market the idea that the Fed's going to continue with even more pressure on raising rates. That's going to give us higher treasury yields, and that's exactly what's happened. The two-year treasury yield is back to about 4.62%. The November 15-year high, November of last year, 15-year high in that two-year yield was around 4.88%. So we're just really knocking on the door again of a 15-year high in that yield for the U.S. Treasury. What does that do? Well, it tells and signals the markets, along with the spy balloon issue, get out of the emerging markets, especially with the controversy, the geopolitical controversy we're facing. And that then, therefore, creates a, a kind of a sell-off in those big key currencies, Mexican peso, multi-month low today, Brazilian real, it's back up towards a six-week low, and then the offshore Chinese currency uh, up towards a 12-week low, 10 or 12-week low at this point. It just says U.S. product is expensive and the ag sector can't get a bid underneath it. And that's where we see this liquidation. Not heavy volume today, but and, and no technical damage done. We can get to that later, but it's the narrative that we faced really ever since the fourth quarter of 2022. We just can't get out of the Fed China uh, cobweb or spider web at this point. Well, Mike, I know as well, I'll dive into the wheat market here for a second, pull up another chart, the monthly HRW wheat. It seems like wheat is typically most affected by a higher dollar. Um, and we've talked about that before, but it ended up kind of being a day where wheat was the downside leader. The soy complex came back a little bit. So when it was all said and done, wheat was kind of our leader to the downside on Wednesday. Yeah, it was. And that's a that's a problem, especially when you've got a, a lot of precip that's supposed to be falling in the hard red wheat belt and it's coming in terms of light snow and very light precip. I doubt if we got more than two thirds of an inch of rain here in northeastern Kansas when we were supposed to get quite a bit more. And I think that's the upper end. And so and, and then you go back to what's happening with the grain deal and the initiative where Russia has essentially said it's dead. Russia's having this massive offensive. I just read today on one of my European sources that they're looking at bringing in some fighter jets now to complement this major march offensive. Uh, that they're doing right now. And the Ukrainians are really kind of screaming at this point, we need big time help. So that did nothing that we did in the last two months as far as supplying the Ukrainians with more and better armaments did anything to deter Vladimir Putin. In fact, it probably revved him up more and it probably revved up the relationship between the, the Chinese and the Russians more. So Jesse, you hit it on the nose. This chart really shows you by that purple wedge formation, we've actually broken out to the upside we went lower in January, but really came back right essentially unchanged for the month of January. That gave us that breakout this month that allowed us to get break, go above and actually make a new three-month high in that hard red wheat chart. But again, we're stalling out again because of the tight supply story from the Ukraine and Russia grain initiative. 
and the weather story kind of getting old at this point. So I think this is where we just need some demand to come in and help us. And I mean the weekly export sales and meaning some bids that come out of uh, tenders to the Middle East where we come in and actually put out some bids to or, or offers to sell uh, into the Middle East here if we get some tenders. Well, now I, I was looking through some thoughts you had as well in this corn market. I wonder how this is all tying in. We tried to break out early in the week, didn't really do it. This corn market's staying relatively range bound. So we think about, you know, the corn market specifically. Do you have some concerns? Do you think we have a breakout coming? Are we going to stay range bound here for some time? What's your thoughts with how corn's acting here, despite all the moves in some of these other markets? Because largely corn didn't do a whole lot on Wednesday. Yeah, that's an excellent question because corn does have some support underneath. It looks better from a spread perspective. Um, it, it looks better from a wheat corn perspective as well. I think the answer to me, Jesse, if we're going to stay in this uh, spider web of, of Russia, China, and, and the, the Federal Reserve like we've been dealing with for the past roughly six months, I think the cash corn will remain very strong, very well underpinned. The basis will pick up a lot of the negativity in futures, but I'm, I'm nervous that the futures will fall with the, uh, with the wheat market if the wheat decides to break down, kind of like we've seen before. I, I do think that the ag attache coming out this week for Argentina, cutting production another 2 million tons, cutting exports down to 31 million. And if you remember, you and I talked a few weeks ago, and I was at 25 to 30 million tons for Argentine exports. So we're getting closer to my forecast. And instead of major exporting countries having about one and a half million more tons of corn than they did last year, I think they're going to be essentially down one and a half to two million tons. And I think that gives us more play in the market as far as getting more exports of corn. Corn exports into the world market, to me, look better than beans or wheat at this stage because of the major competitors out there. India is not going to have a you know, really big wheat cr uh, corn crop. They're going to have a really big wheat crop. Now, that could take away from the corn demand, but I don't think it substitutes it that much. Soybeans, too. I noticed bean oil came back a little bit. I think that helped out the soy complex as a whole a little bit by the close on Wednesday. I know the NOPA crush numbers were below expectations. Seemed like that was the main catalyst there late in the session for soybeans as well. Caught up in all this risk off dollar influence trade. Yeah, it supported the WASDI report, too. We had that 10 million bushel cut. We all wondered about that, whether that was accurate or not. So it does support the USDA cut from the report. So we had to go back and revisit that, I think. But I think you're right. The overall mindset is we still got bad weather in Argentina. The meal is still up there around 500 bucks a ton. It isn't giving any technical sell signals yet, in my opinion, although the bean spread is starting to weaken. That July Nove bean spread doesn't look nearly as good as it did a week or 10 days ago. And so you can kind of feel the, the sensitivity of the Brazilian harvest hanging over the market now, whereas before they were kind of forgetting about that, thinking about only the Argentine drought. So I would say beans are really on kind of life support right now when it comes to the technicals. And I would even see that I would even say the sentiment in the market is kind of on life support as well. So this is where it goes back to we need a good, strong weekly export sales number on Thursday morning that kind of maybe should help jostle this trade back into the mindset. Well, we're not losing a lot of demand, but, you know, Brazil is shipping out, you know, several hundred percent more beans than they have month over month at this point uh, from what I'm reading. And, and that's with the, the, the harvest somewhat delayed at this point. 
And again, we're having a conversation with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. We will continue that conversation coming up here after the break. We're going to talk a little bit more about the energy markets, how that is all playing into our grain trade. And we'll also dive into the livestock market as well. We'll get to all that more coming up here after the break as we're back with more market talk of the way right after this. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency, so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, we are talking today with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics, getting his thoughts on the market trade analysis midweek. Mike, let's talk a little bit about energy. You sent me over a couple of charts there. And I know this energy market, we talked about crude oil being kind of a canary in the coal mine here. I'll pull up a, a crude price chart here. As you take a look at this energy sector right now, mid-February, seeing some of the moves here, watching diesel prices, gas prices, et cetera, walk us through what you're seeing as you look at some of these charts. It's a very odd situation we're in right now, Jesse, and this is one of the nice things about your program to be able to talk about this, because if we've got such strong CPI and such strong retail sales, I know we're rebuilding stocks under the SPR, but we had a massive jump in crude oil stocks. And that's the black line on this chart. We're back up to 471 million barrels. The green line down at the bottom is the percent more of stocks that we have versus the end of 2021. That's kind of my bellwether when we had very low crude oil stocks and the crude oil price, which is in purple, was just getting ready to rally and get to that 120 plus dollar range. And so what we're at is 12% more than at the end of 2021. And you notice this big jump in the black line. We've really built stocks sharply ever since the end of 2022. And so it really makes you wonder, well, how can we be in terms of total product demand of distillates, meaning unleaded and diesel, how can we be down 10% on a four-week running average, which EIA gave us today? How can we have the biggest crude oil stock since June of 2021 when we've got these CPI and retail sales and some of these other economic numbers that are just on fire? And I think this is a real anomaly in this market. It's something we really have to watch. And what it could be is, is that the economic data is not as correct as it used to be because there's less economists and analysts they're actually feeding some of these surveys. I've read that, and I think that's something that really has to be watched. So if we've got a big buildup in supplies and energy right now and prices are going down, this may be a really good time to get loaded up in terms of your needs for fuel uh, and take advantage of this. Well, and you mentioned those needs for fuel. I mean, Mike, you know, we're a couple of weeks away from spring field work. In some cases, southern areas, we might be starting that up here 
you know, by the end of the month. So I think about, you know, diesel prices and what the trend line looks like. What are you seeing there when it comes to the diesel side of the equation? Yeah, the thing I like about this, this is the Pad 2 Midwest diesel price, cash price. So it's really nice for the farmers out there, unless you're in Texas or the Southern Plains or something like that. But this is really nice for the primary corn belt to kind of give you an idea of whether that corn acreage base can get bigger because of lower fertilizer prices, lower fuel prices, and, and, and what the weather looks like. And so these are the critical times other than that bean corn ratio. And you notice that the Midwest diesel price is getting back down towards the range that we had between 2011 and 2015 after spiking higher on the war and, and on the inflation as well. So the Federal Reserve policy is acting the biggest uh, in the wheat market and the ag market, but it's also really following through into the energy markets. And that purple line there uh, uh, with the right underneath the price around 420 a gallon, that's your 100 week moving average. And I think once you go below that, it would be well suited to go ahead and start layering in some of your long needs, some of your purchases that you will need for spring and summertime. And some of the guys I've worked with when we were still up around 450, you know, we did some uh, spring needs and, and got up to May or 1st of June, end of June type time period. So I'm really on the hunt to go after uh, the spring needs and on forward into the fall harvest. If we can get that back below um, that 420 level and get especially closer to $4 a gallon. I think at that point, Jesse, that that Ukrainian war and, and the emerging markets and, and what's happening in the global economy, because we've heard stories, I'm sure you've seen it, I'm sure the people listening have seen it. We've got more and more stories where the banks are getting more optimistic about the uh, the global economy in 2023 now. The OPEC people just raised their 2023 uh, liquid fuel consumption number, uh, not as much as Department of Energy, but at least it's going up. So again, I think as you get towards some of these major moving averages and some of these old highs back from the early mid 2000s, it may be time to go ahead and get something done. Well, Mike, let's switch over to talk livestock. This cattle market you and I have been talking about it. It's been interesting to watch. I know feedlot trade last week took quite some time to get going. And, you know, this week things are quiet so far. But I think about this cattle market, weather, always an impact. We got some major winter storms potential on the horizon here the next week to 10 days. I wonder how that could affect this cattle market in feedlot country. Yeah, this is a big deal because, you know, I was really on uh, per, getting ready to press the red button on hedging my end of Q1 and, and all of Q2 numbers um, because of the way the marketings look like they were backing up. I still think they're backing up, but those heavier, bigger cattle, if they go through a blizzard, it's only going to cause even more havoc on the supply side. So the, the European model, right before we went on air here, Jesse, the European model is bringing in a 10 to 12 inch snowstorm. It's sticking closer to the... Um, uh, central part of the country like Nebraska and South Dakota, whereas the GFS moved everything up towards the Canadian U.S. border. So the Dakotas and Montana and Minnesota getting still 20 inches of snow on the GFS. Well, mm -hmm. be that as it may, whatever it is, it looks like it's big and it looks like both models are showing it. And so what this chart shows you is I think the trade's starting to price that in. We're almost at 165 in April and we've broken above the channel and now we've gotten up against a trend line support. And so that daily chart that we're looking at right now looks like it's ready to go into a sell signal, but it could be staging kind of an exhaustion move up if this blizzard hits. The point being we're at 160, 161 cash. If we see April cattle flash to 168, 169, I'm going to jump on it and get some puts bought. 
Well, 164 right now is where April cattle are at, so only a few more dollars to go. I think that is very plausible. Feeder cattle market had an okay day on Wednesday. Um, probably one of the only markets that had positive action on the screen on the day Wednesday, Mike. Yeah, and a lot of that due to that weaker corn market, that feeder mm -hmm. corn ratio. One quick thing on feeders, though, I went back and looked at some monthly charts today before talking to you, Jesse, and it looked like to me, while we're close to the 2015 levels and upwards of 2015 levels on fat cattle, we're a long way away from that with the feeders. And so feeders don't have nearly the premium that the fat cattle do, and that really surprised me because they typically have been running very close to one another when they make major highs and major lows. Mike, let's move over to the hog market. Favorite thing to talk about, those hogs. A uh, little bit of interesting uh, trade, I think, in front of us the next couple of days or weeks with the April contract, assuming front month leadership at, what, a $12, $13 premium to the cash index. What's your thoughts with April taking over as the lead month futures now here in hogs? Well, the featuring this week at the major grocery stores that I look at has really come on hard with the pork. You know, you're talking about the best cuts of tenderloin at about $4.99 a pound, and you've got 93% ground beef at $5.99, $6.99 a pound. Chuck roasts around $5.99 a pound as well. So you're beating everything out there, even some of the chicken, higher chicken quality parts. Um, as far as pork. So I think we found our bottom in the cash. The cutout, I think that 80 number is a solid number, but I do think that April probably needs to work down closer to where the Fed went off and that cash index. And so I could see the hogs going sideways to lower here for the next couple of weeks and try and build up some steam for another move up. The monthly chart's trying to give a buy signal, but uh, you know that we're still quite a few ways, quite a couple of weeks away from the end of February. Well, Mike, great thoughts and analysis as always. Before we run out of time and wrap it up, uh, floor is yours. Anything else you want to mention or reiterate for us today? Yeah, just a lot of stuff coming out right now and, and trying to keep track of it and trying to put it into little bins as far as what's important, what's not important, what's short term, what's medium term. And I think the highlight of today's show and the analysis, if you get a trial, is did we do anything to hurt the long-term trend and those wedges, those pennants, those triangles? We really haven't, even though the dollar's going up and the emerging markets look shaky. So that's where we're at. I'd get a trial. I'd try it out as far as our analysis and see if you can't pick up some more medium-term analysis that maybe settles you down when you get these news flashes that kind of drive you crazy. Well, Mike, if folks want to get a trial, want more information, how can they do that? Globalcomresearch.com is the best place to go, Jesse, for a trial. Call me toll-free at 866-471-2588 if you need to know more or have a specific question. Well, we appreciate the time and analysis as always. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. Have a great week, sir. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for having me, Jesse. And once again, that is Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics joining us here today on Market Talk. Always appreciate his time and analysis here on the program. Let's look at a few of the closing numbers from Wednesday's trade action before we head to break. We saw a cord for March down six, 676 at a quarter. New crop December corn, that finished today a little bit lower as well, down two and a half, 595 at a quarter. March beans down 11 to three quarters, 1525 at three quarters. New crop November beans were down to eight, 1375. Bead meal for March was down 990. It's at 491.10. March bean oil up 84 points at 61.24. March Chicago wheat down 16 to three quarters, 769 at a quarter. July down 14 at a quarter, 785 at a quarter. March Kansas City wheat down 11 and a half, 894 and a half. July down 11 at 870. 
Spring wheat for March down seven and a quarter, nine twenty-four three quarters. July down six and a half at nine ten and a quarter. Livestock February live cattle forty higher, one sixty-two fifty-five. April down seven, one sixty-four sixty. Live cattle for June down two, one sixty twenty. March feeder cattle up sixty-seven, one eighty-seven thirty-two. April up twenty-five, one ninety-one fifteen. And feeder cattle for the May contract as well, up 7, 194.97. April hogs down 75, 86.50. May hogs down 35, 95.70. June hogs on Wednesday down 52 at 104.30. And also hogs for July down 30 at 106.05. So again, a mostly lower day across the commodity sector. Cotton market as well, down 285 points in March at 82.55. All right, coming up next here on Market Talk, before we run out of time on today's show, we're going to talk about supplementing your soybeans. A trial program last year with Advanced 6 looking at ammonium sulfate on soybeans. We're going to get perspective from Iowa farmer Ryan Reimers. He's going to join us next. We're back with more Market Talk on the way right after this. market information that matters to you on market talk now back to jesse allen and joining us now here on the program we're learning more about the supplement your soybeans trial program from advanced six and we're learning about it firsthand from an iowa soybean farmer ryan reimers is with us here today ryan great to have you on the program hope you're doing well yeah thanks uh, appreciate it jesse glad to be on today it's uh, a beautiful winter day and mid-iowa well, you know, you can't argue with a beautiful winter day uh, in Iowa in mid-February. And I know right around the corner is going to be spring planting season. And I'm sure you guys are really going to be uh, gearing up for that here in the uh, in the next couple of weeks ahead, Ryan. Yeah, it, it's amazing how fast uh, this time uh, kind of creeps up on you. As soon as you get up through the first, uh, you think you got a lot of time. And all of a sudden, it's beginning of March and, and you got to hit the, the ground running. Definitely. Well, I know that a lot of hitting the ground running is obviously you're looking at what you're going to plant and you're looking at the best uh, yields you can get possible, your return on investment. And, and let's talk a little bit about this supplement, your soybeans program from Advanced 6. And I think just to start, you know, farmers, they're continuing to try and increase yields and performance on their soybeans, like I mentioned what are some of the challenges that you see heading into 2023 when it comes to increasing those yields and performance? Yeah, you know, in our area in particular, and I know a majority of the Western Corn Belt, you know, moisture is, is a huge thing right now. Uh, we're kind of, we're in a drought scenario, uh, in particular in the area that we farm in West Central Iowa. Uh, we're anywhere from an extreme to severe drought if you look on the drought map. So moisture is definitely going to be a, a big uh, a big problem as we run into the spring. Now, fortunately here in the winter, we've had already some decent uh, rain events uh, and snow melts. So hopefully that continues to, to add to the deficit that we already have. Um, but we'll definitely uh, be fighting that as we go and, and as we look into the spring. Um, and then on top of that too, because of lack of moisture, we have quite a bit uh, buildup of residues. So I know not only myself, but a, a lot of other growers too have been looking for ways to get rid of some uh, crop residue, some really strong corn yields the last couple of years and so that's also built up quite a bit of residue we're trying to get some you know even emergence on those soybeans as well so just trying to be as consistent as possible on that 
Well, Ryan, I know that some farmers are turning to different inputs to help increase their production and yields. And one of those, ammonium sulfate, AMS, and that's all part of this uh, program from Advanced 6. Can you just talk a little bit about, you know, why, why AMS? Why is this an attractive product to use on soybeans when it comes to increasing performance? Yeah, so, I mean, sulfur in general is becoming more and more of a critical component of our nutrition plan. Um in our soybeans in particular as well. Um, you know, we, we have the the uh, Emissions Reduction Act. Uh, we don't have as much of that deposition naturally. Uh, so we're looking at ways to push that yield. And one of those things is sulfur. Uh, in the case of AMS, uh, it's an available form of sulfur, a sulfate form that the soybeans can readily take up after application. So that's an attractive thing. Uh, we also are doing it uh, right in the spring, right before we're, we're planting or right after planting. So trying to get that uh, plant off to the best start as possible. Um, and, and we're seeing some, some decent results. So hoping to continue to, to try it and, and work with that uh, in the years come and see if we can continue to push those soybean yields. Well, Ryan, talk about your experience with using AMS as part of uh, the program there with Advanced 6. And maybe talk about some of those uh, trial results you had last year. Could you just talk about that experience a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So we, we ended up uh, putting on about 25 pounds of sulfur, about 115 pounds AMS, uh, about a month before planting. Um, and throughout the growing season, you know, trying to look for things that really stick out uh, to your eye uh, in terms of plant health and such. And we did notice some more uh, nodulation on our roots in those areas that were applied. Uh, didn't see a lot of physio uh, physiological difference, but when we got to yield, uh, we did end up seeing on the areas that were applied about a bushel and a half response, uh, positive response, which, which that was promising. Um, you know, continuing in the years to come, we're, we're trying to focus in on areas that might uh, benefit more from this. And, and we've kind of noticed, even from this last year's trial, that some of our lower soil organic matter areas really showed a big response uh, to that AMS application. So we'll probably be pushing for those areas even more uh, in future years. Well, and I would have to think as well, using a product like AMS, thinking about the cost of inputs, especially this year, you know, just the, our, our main inputs as well, everything going up, you're trying to find your best return on investment for what you put in the ground and also just obviously grow the best crop you can. So feels like a product like this going into this year, it could be pretty crucial, Ryan. For, for sure. You know, uh, in, inputs are extremely high. Um, and, and we've had good crop prices, you know, that, that hasn't been a secret by any means, but in these times you want to make the, the take advantage of the things that are given to you. So we're just continuing to try to find ways to push the envelope, continue to push up our yield. And in the same case, uh, you know, also increase our ROI. So anything that we can do to do that, you know, is, is worth trying. Well, and I'm sure as well, I should ask with AMS, I would have to think the ease of use, the ease of application, it, it's got to be pretty simple to use on, on your fields, isn't it, Ryan? Most definitely. Our, our retailer that we work with, uh, it's a product that they readily have, uh, so it was no problem in, in acquiring um, AMS. And in the same sense, too, it's a very consistent product, easy to spread. So it was a, a very easy application to have done, uh, especially at a time where everybody's gearing up and trying to do a lot of other things. Why well, no folks can learn more online, supplementyoursoybeans.advance6.com, supplementyoursoybeans.advansix.com. Ryan, before we let you go, real quick, any other final thoughts you'd want to share with us just about your experience uh, using AMS on your soybeans? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I guess for anybody that's uh, out there, you know, always willing to try new things uh, to push the envelope. And, and I know more and more people are are of that mindset. And I've uh, my brother and I, in particular, using AMS have have seen some good results. So going to continue to go down that uh, or push that envelope and and see what we can do. Well, we appreciate the time. And again, learn more. Supplement your soybeans.advance6.com. With that, Ryan Reimers, Iowa soybean farmer. Thanks for joining us here today. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. Have a good one. Well, that is all the time we have here today for Market Talk. Thanks to Ryan. Thanks to Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics for joining us as well earlier in the show. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have reports from the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville, Kentucky. That's going to do it for Market Talk. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a fantastic rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency. So you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.